He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Welcome back. We're doing this particular podcast early in the morning. Dr. O, it's good to talk to you. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jack. Good to be back with you. I want to talk today about chapter seven in your book, because first of all, it's just interesting, I think, for anybody who wants to get healthy. And also because you go, you go to a place that I'm interested in knowing more about, and that's carnivore. So let's talk, take us through your evolution from uh, where you started this journey with, with uh, what was it? Good calories, bad calories by Gary Tobbs. Correct. That, right. So, so take us from there, the evolution of your diet from there to now. Sure thing, Jack. And as you, you know, alluded to it, it was an evolution and it, it continues to change to this day. So um, going back uh, now about four years is when I first came across Gary Taubes and good calories, bad calories in the case against sugar. And the change that I made at that time was uh, initially to go gluten-free and to eliminate sugar from my diet as much as possible. And, and that's had, what you, and, and that was kind of the, the pivot point for you. That was when, that was when the weight started to come off and stay off. Is that right? Correct. You know, I would say while that wasn't the first time I had success in losing weight, that was the first time I had success in keeping weight off, uh, you know, past a, a couple of months. Uh, so I, you know, did that and more so than the actual diet and the weight loss that record, you know, resulted from that, that spurred my interest to look into the whole topic of nutrition more. And I started doing more of the research and, you know, a combination of reading scientific articles and reading books and listening to podcasts and, you know, really got involved in what I would call the low carb nutritional space and certainly came across, you know, more and more influencers influencers uh in that space both physicians and non-physicians well real quick uh, just just as a sidebar um have you got two or three that were particularly influential for you sure i would say you know on the physician side of things uh Dr. Tro Collasian and Dr. Brian Lenskis, who co-host the Low Carb MD podcast, uh, which, you know, is a podcast sort of geared towards physicians. At least it was at the beginning. It, it's now gotten a much larger audience. Uh, and they they were very instrumental in, uh, you know, bringing on guests as well as their own personal thoughts and practices around this. They're both family physicians who have, uh, you know, changed their practices uh to center mm. on nutrition and preventative effort so that okay. they've been we'll link that stuff. one in the in the show notes yeah uh highly recommend that um and then uh you know i would say dr david unwin who's a uh general practitioner in, in the uk uh has been very influential as well he has done a lot uh, he has actually published you know a lot of his data on how he has you know had significant uh, diabetes reversals and lowering costs in the 
patients that he takes care of uh, with diabetes and other health conditions. Uh, so he's been another big influencer. Uh, there are guys like uh, Dr. Finney and Dr. Volick, who, you know, are some of the uh, have done a lot of the seminal work, a lot of the seminal lab, you know, clinical studies on low carb, and then ultimately got involved in starting Verda Health, uh, which has now published, you know, very impressive data showing their reversal of diabetes utilizing a, a low carb nutritional approach. All right. Didn't mean to, to get you off path there, but I thought that would be interesting to our listeners. Go ahead. No, I think, no. I think that certainly is. So, you know, as I started learning more and more about low carb, uh, it, you know, kind of evolved uh, from, you know, just eliminating sugar and going gluten free to what I would call, you know, formal sort of keto, uh, where I was really tracking macros and, uh, you know, measuring my blood ketone levels at that point, uh, and really trying to kind of dial in. And then I would say probably the next big, uh, evolution was discovering the information, you know, the concerns around processed fats, vegetable and seed oils, uh, was another big kind of revelation for me. Uh, as you know, many people are out there are probably aware these, um, uh, things like, you know, canola oil have been promoted as being heart healthy. And, you know, there were scientific studies put forward showing that they help to lower your cholesterol and therefore they're going to be beneficial and that those would be the healthiest fats to consume. And as I started to dig into that information more and realize that not only are they probably not helpful, but there's a very good chance that they're actually harmful. That was another big step for me, eliminating those uh, processed vegetable and seed oils from my diet. So that brought me to what I would kind of call clean keto uh, where I was really only doing, you know, coconut oil, avocado oil, olive oil, and animal fats, uh, but still pretty high fat, low carb, you know, keto measuring, tracking macros and, and mm -hmm. measuring ketosis. And I got to a point then that I was exceedingly low carb, uh, probably under 20 grams of carbs a day. And I was feeling pretty good. And then I heard uh, this orthopedic surgeon by the name of Sean Baker uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast. And he was talking about the carnivore diet. And I'm sure, you know, many people listening to this are familiar, but basically the carnivore diet is that you only eat animal products. Uh, so meat, dairy, seafood, essentially. And you uh, therefore basically eliminate carbohydrates completely. You know, there's very small amounts of carbohydrates in, in some of the animal foods and some dairy products, but you're essentially eliminating carbohydrates. And honestly, that sounded crazy at first, but I started to think about it and I'm like, okay, I'm only eating like very little amounts of carbohydrates currently. You know, do I think that those are really essential or those are, you know, benefiting my health, the small amount of vegetables that I'm eating? And I, you know, looked into it more and I started hearing about people who had been on this very long term, uh, you know, going on decades. Uh, I just came across the historical 
sort of reports of the uh, carnivore diet. Uh, most famous is a, a scientist explorer by the name of Vilmer Stephenson, who had uh, kind of embedded himself with, you know, the um, uh, Inuits and uh, survived over a year on just, you know, they eat essentially just whale blubber, uh, but a carnivore <laughs> diet. Uh, and then, I, I I like that biohack, but I think I'm going to draw the line. At yeah, yeah, very blubber. interesting. Uh, but, you know, this was, you know, in the uh, 1920s, 1930s, and he comes back to New York City where he lives and he's you know, returns to kind of the standard diet at the time. And he noticed he felt a lot worse than he did when he was with the Inuits. And so he actually did a study. Uh, he and one other gentleman uh, were actually inpatients, it was basically considered, at Bellevue Hospital at the time uh, for about a six-month period, doing strictly carnivore diet, having their blood work monitored, all of this stuff, and, you know, showed that it was a very healthful way to eat and showed improvement in all his markers at the time, you know. Now, when was this? This was uh, in the uh, 1920s, 1930s. Wow. Uh, and he had a couple of books that he wrote, uh, you know, very interesting reading as well. But, you know, you start to see the history. And then, I, you know, that that brings you to the all the ancestral tribes, you know, and, uh, you know, that are out there that basically survive on carnivore diets as well. And, you know, the I guess the biggest revelation from all this was that it is possible to survive on a carnivore diet. We do not need carbohydrates. We do not need vegetables uh, to, you know, to survive as humans. So I made that leap of faith and I said, let me try it, you know, for a couple of months and uh, see what happens. So this brings us to uh, March of uh, 2019 that I went car full carnivore. And I would say the two biggest improvements that I noticed, uh, first one was immediate. So I had had persistent trouble with inflammation, specifically plantar fasciitis in my right foot. And, uh, you know, at this time I was doing a fair amount of running. I had run a half marathon. Uh, I had done a, I remember actually the day, the, the, the last day of non-carnivore, I had run a, uh, 10K, uh, and I always had this trouble with plantar fasciitis in my right foot. I would get up every morning. I would, you know, get out of bed and for about 10 minutes, my right foot would hurt until I sort of worked it out. And I had done all the physical therapy, stretches, exercises, everything that's recommended for plantar fasciitis had stopped running, you know, changed shoes, all of that. Right. Nothing helped. My third day on carnivore, I got out of bed, I put my foot down, and it didn't hurt. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. You know, maybe it's just a fluke. And, you know, it the pain did not come back again. And early on, when I was doing carnivore in those first few months, and I would stray, and I would have something, you know, and, and again, if we're not talking like I was downing a whole cake or anything. Oh, I like your ringtone. Thank you. I would have a, uh, you know, few bites of something that was non-carnivore. I would start to feel some pain in my right foot. Uh, and I could tell that wow. inflammation was coming back. So that was the most noticeable. Like, in, like how, how long did it take to, for, to feel the impact uh, when, that you, was when you'd have carbs? Uh, it, early on, it was pretty much right away. Like if I had something that day, you know, the next morning I would feel some pain in my foot. It was nowhere Within near. Hours. Yeah, within hours. And it was nowhere near the original level that it was. 
uh, but I could start to kind of feel some inflammation down there. So for whatever reason, you know, that's where I had some inflammation and it went away on carnivore and it's never come back again. Wow. On the long term, you know, now that I've been primarily carnivore for coming up on, you know, almost three years here, uh, I stick with it because it's just the easiest way of eating for me to maintain. Uh, I don't have to track anything. I'm not, you know, worried about macros. I'm not measuring, you know, ketone levels. I kind of know I'm in ketosis because I'm not eating any carbs, but I, I don't really worry about it. And the shopping is easy. You know, I, I literally <laughs> the, the rare times I go to the supermarket, it's a quick lap around the outside. You know, I pick up some meat, some seafood, some dairy, some eggs and I'm out. Uh, most of my shopping, honestly, is not done in the supermarket. You know, I, I tend to get a half side of beef from a local farmer every few months and I get some seafood from, you know, one of the local seafood shops. And, uh, you know, and. and that's, you know, I'll, I'll oftentimes go to the farmer's market and get some, you know, fresh eggs from the farm. And and that is the majority of what I eat. Uh, and food preparation is easy. I grab something out of the fridge or the freezer. I throw it in a pan for a few minutes. Typically, I'm not worried about recipes and all this planning. Uh, very little waste. I, I notice I don't, you know, throw out people who, you know, buy a lot of produce certainly are used to, yeah, you know, some of yeah. it spoils and you throw it out and, oh, yeah. and, uh, there's a lot of packaging and all this. So, uh, it's just interesting that it's at a low, what I say now is I think a lot less about food than I used to. And it just, it's not a constant, you know, thought in my mind. What am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? I got to go get this to prepare, you know, this recipe sure. and these types of things. Uh, I remember, so- I remember you talking about, several, this was several episodes ago where you were talking about food that, that keeps you hungry. So that's a big change. Yeah, that's a huge change. I mean, I, I eat, as I've said before, I typically eat once, maybe twice a day and not because I'm restricting myself just because I'm not hungry more than that. You know, I get hungry once or twice a day and I eat, you know, when so, I'm hungry. So you, you're a, you're a thoracic surgeon, as I understand it. Some of these surgeries can can go on for hours, and I know that that is a a, a mentally, and I would, well, certainly a mentally uh, uh, demanding job, and I would expect physically demanding as well. How are your energy levels? Yeah, my energy levels are great, and uh, you know I can make it through those long surgeries a lot better than I used to and realized, you know, I was 15 years younger when I started my career and I, you know, obviously going through my training, you know, 20 plus years ago. And I can honestly say now I feel better, you know, if I have a long surgery and, and like you said, some of my surgeries end up being eight to 10 hours sometimes. And at the end of that, you know, I feel just fine and and I'm not hungry. You know, I can go that time without eating. Uh, and I used to, you know, kind of finish up a long case and, you know, kind of make the beeline to the cafeteria cause I was starving. And now, you know, I finish up the case and I, you know, take care of whatever work I need to do. And, and whenever I happen to get, you know, around food that's acceptable again, um, which by the way, is usually not in the hospital. Right. Uh, I, uh, you know, I eat when I, when it's convenient and, and, you know, maybe I'm feeling a little hungry, maybe I'm not. 
Uh, it just and so I have a lot more energy. I have a lot more mental clarity. Um, and many people who do low carb and and especially you know carnivore uh, notice that. Um, for whatever reason, you know, it just seems uh, one of the sort of myths that persist is that your brain needs sugar uh, to, you know, your brain works on sugar. And the reality is, is that the brain seems to work much better when the body is in ketosis and burning fat instead of, you know, burning sugar as its primary fuel. I know evolutionarily that certainly would make sense simply because for 99.999% of our history, um, the bulk of our diet would have been stuff we'd hunted and killed and being able to eat ripe fruits or berries would have been a a rarity rather than something that was available all the time. So it makes sense that our bodies evolved to, to process protein and fat as to keep us going rather than, rather than carbs. I understand that from an evolutionary standpoint, but but there's just something that's, it's kind of jarring to hear a testimony about it, to hear, Hey, I actually do this. Here's my actual experience. Um, I'm fascinated by it. So I want to ask a couple of, uh, questions about, contraindication so so how would a person know that you shouldn't be trying a a carnivore diet well so you know that's a very interesting question because i i get asked a lot you know about contraindications or downsides of the carnivore diet and honestly i struggle to come up with any you know because every sort of perceived contraindication, let's say, to the carnivore diet. You know, meat is going to harm your heart or meat is going to harm your kidneys. Uh, You know, uh, there are a couple others that are, you know, pretty commonly put out there. And when you really dig into the science behind any of those claims, none of them, you know, none of them turn out to be well-founded in the scientific literature. And then, you know, the personal experiences that go along with carnivore as well. Um, you know, almost every disease that is supposed, you know, that that carnivore, that eating a lot of meat will worsen. I can find reports of people with those diseases saying that they've improved their conditions with the carnivore diet. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it's that's what kind of keeps me uh, where I am you know, as a, as a primarily carnivore, uh, way of eating, because my personal experience has been positive. I interact with a lot of people, you know, my clients, and then, you know, on the various, uh, you know, forums and and websites around carnivore diet who report similar things that they've had great experience with it. You alluded to, you know, ancestrally and, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, this is the diet that we primarily evolved as humans on. And I can go back through the scientific literature, you know, and find uh, a lot of evidence to support the carnivore diet and support, you know, eating a primarily meat-based diet. And the only evidence that really speaks against it is really lousy scientific studies Mm. that have come out in the past, you know, 
40 to 50 years. Uh, so, you know, and like I said, those studies are all, um, you know, uh, associational studies. Uh, they, they, you know, look at what people are eating overall and try and pull out one particular element, the meat, and tie that to bad outcomes. But the reality is that over the last 40 to 50 years, when people have been eating, you know, when people report that they eat meat, um, that is mostly in the context of, let's say, a hamburger, which is fried oftentimes in vegetable and seed oils, mm -hmm. is eaten with a bun and all the toppings, mm -hmm. and the side of French fries fried in, you know, vegetable and seed oils, and oftentimes a, a, a soda, you know, sugar-sweetened beverage that's drank with it. And so that all gets put in, but all the, the bad effects get attributed to are meat. Uh, and the reality is, is that the meat is probably the healthiest part of that, you know, kind of uh, meal that I just uh, went through. And so there really is no good scientific evidence that isolates meat as a risk factor for any of these diseases. And, uh, you know, but I remain I will say that even though I've been on this diet for, you know, almost three years and I know the thousands and thousands of people who, you know, have had success with it, um, I remain skeptical and I'm always on the lookout. And, you know, people who follow me on Twitter will see some of my interactions. You know, if someone can send me good evidence that, you know, uh, eating a carnivore diet or eating large amounts of animal products is bad for our health, I want to see that data, you know. You know, I w because obviously I have a personal interest in this. This is what I am doing personally. So if it's harmful, you know, no one should be more interested in that than me. And thus far, no. I have not seen any evidence to, uh, you know, to say that. So uh, getting back to your original question, are there any contraindications to a carnivore diet? I really cannot come up with any. Um, I do caution people that, you know, it needs to be done in a certain way. Um, if you have a lot of medical conditions like diabetes and heart disease uh, or kidney disease, you probably should be working with a knowledgeable physician to do it rather than just doing it on your own. Um, but I, I really, you know, I, I guess I, I actually do have one recent thing that I was introduced to that would be a contraindication. And okay. there was a very rare disease called uh, alpha-gal syndrome, that uh, there is a particular type of tick that a, a bite from that tick uh, has been shown to stimulate an allergic response, essentially, to some of the proteins that are in meat. And uh, this syndrome can actually, you know, cause people to be allergic to meat, essentially. And huh. that is one. Uh, it, it's very newly described. It's very rare. Uh, it, you know, I, I, within the past year or two, became aware of its existence. It's kind of fascinating to me from a scientific standpoint. Uh, and that, I would say, is perhaps the one contraindication that I've ever found to a carnivore diet. Okay, let's let me ask you about I actually thought this was going to be a short episode and and boy was I wrong. I've got so many questions. Um one of the things I've heard and I again I haven't done this myself so I don't know that this is a fact, but um we hear all the time that you need fiber in order for your bowels to function properly and keep things moving well. 
Um, and one of the things I've heard about full carnivore is your constipation. Let's just cut to the chase. Constipation. Yep. Talk about that, please. Sure thing. So the experience of most carnivores is that they move their bowels less often. So, you know, we have come to expect, I would say people on, you know, sort of a standard American diet or even, you know, people on a healthy, let's say a Mediterranean or, a, you know, even a vegan vegetarian diet. Uh, we have come to ex we've been told that it's normal to move your bowels every day or multiple times a day. And my personal experience on carnivore, and again, the experience of lots of people on carnivore, um, is that that doesn't happen. You know, I would say I average two to three bowel movements a week. Okay. Is but that... understand that that's different than constipation. Constipation is oh, when okay. you have a essentially, you know, an accumulation of backup that's usually associated with pain and discomfort. Um, right. I just... I just move my bowels less often, but they're normal bowel movements. They don't take extra effort or straining. And, you know, basically what I attribute that to is that the food that I am eating, my body is fully utilizing, um, you know, fiber, understand that our bodies basically do not digest fiber. It passes right. through our digestive system. This was, you know, thought to, uh, stimulate, you know, keep the bowels healthy by keeping things moving through. But, you know, the reality is, is that if you're eating food that your body is fully utilizing and there's a lot less white waste products being made, I would view that as a good thing. Um, the myth around needing fiber uh, comes from a couple of different places. Um, it actually, you know, when you really trace it back through the scientific literature, it, uh, there was a scientist, uh, and I forget his name and this is like early 1900s and, uh, he was, you know, studying one of the tribes, I, I, I believe it was, you know, in Africa. And he was just so impressed by their bowel movements. Like he thought they had a perfect shape and amount and, and this and that. And he was very impressed and he figured out that it was, there was some high fibrous plant, uh, you know, that was local to the area that they ate a lot of. Uh, and so, you know, he basically said, look at these guys, they're eating all this fiber, they're having all these great bowel movements, you know, much better than we have, you know, back in civilized, uh, you know, Europe or, or America. And it, th this all started the myth, basically, that fiber was necessary to have healthy bowels. When you look at the... Uh, when you look at the science, I, I'm just laughing because there are so many of these stories about these um, commonly accepted truth in air quotes yep. that has its that that actually has its roots in either bad studies, no studies, um, apocryphal studies. I, I'm just it's I, we I keep running into this and it's. It, uh, maybe I'm laughing so I don't cry. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, you know, this is the stuff you start to figure out when you look into this. So there was uh, a very good study done, an interventional study done on what we call idiopathic constipation. So people who were struggling with constipation, you know, uh, and they had painful bowel movements and, and, you know, all the things that goes along with true constipation. And they gave these people fiber supplements. 
and it made it worse. So the data shows that increased fiber does not correlate to, you know, good bowel habits or good health overall. And again, you know, when you look at the studies that are purported to show that fiber is beneficial to our health overall, what you realize is that, you know, the people that are on high, higher fiber diets are eating less of the bad stuff. So the fiber, the fibrous foods, you know, vegetables primarily, uh, is in substitution of, you know, basically crap processed junk food. And so it looks like those people are doing better because they're eating fiber. Uh, but they're not really doing better because they're eating fiber. They're doing better because they're eating less bad stuff and they're mm. having the fiber instead. Uh, so, you know, again, the scientific studies don't support the fact that you need fiber. The personal experience of myself and all of the carnivore community out there is, is that fiber is in no way essential to health. And you can live a perfectly normal life without consuming any significant amounts of fiber. Wow. <laughs> I really didn't expect it to be that clear cut. I thought I thought there was going to be a whole lot of nuance around this this question. <laughs> okay. So um, now I do have a little bit of experience that, that is behind this next question. I've, I've done a keto diet off and on for several years. And one of the things that I've experienced is cramping, muscle cramps. Um, and it might just be genetic. My dad suffered from nasty muscle cramps most of his life. Um, and, you know, I went. I often wake up in the middle of the night with nasty cramps in my, my lower body. Um, and somewhere I heard, you know, my, my highly scientific results here, um, that, uh, whatever vitamins, minerals, whatever that we need to keep our muscles from cramping are absent or at least not in sufficient quantities in a keto diet. I realize I sound like a complete idiot here, but can you address that? Sure. You know, and again, very common uh, question that comes up and uh, very common, you know, concern that's raised. And the cramping, the muscle cramping that occurs uh, with low carb diets in general, you know, keto, carnivore, really all of the low carb diets seem to be primarily related to electrolytes. Uh, right. So the salts the minerals, like you said, that we eat. And I would say there is probably, you know, there are a couple of factors in play here. The one pretty clear factor that we know is that when you're eating less carbohydrates, your insulin level drops. Insulin we've talked about in the past is sort of a master hormone in your body. And uh -huh. one of the many effects uh, that insulin has is it causes your kidneys to basically retain salt. And so when your insulin level drops, basically, you start to, um, you know, the kidneys start to flush out a lot more water and a lot of salt. Uh, and this is, you know, some of the initial, you know, rapid weight loss that we see with people that go on a low carb diet is that they're just getting rid of a lot of water weight. But anytime right. water is being, you know, released by the kidneys, there's salt that's going with it. So, you know, 
one can very quickly become salt depleted um, on a, uh, especially when they first start a keto diet uh, or a low carb diet, I should say. And so you need to replace that by, by taking salts. And, and that's one of the many things, you know, that I do with my clients is uh, making sure that their electrolyte intake, uh, high quality sea salt is usually what I recommend. And then magnesium seems to be the other um, element. And also realize that many of us are deficient in these, uh, you know, electrolytes and elements to start with. Um, you know, and, and without getting too deep into it, you know, for many reasons, our food supply has become deficient, uh, or we've been told to restrict our intake of salt. The salts right. that we tend to consume are poor, poor quality salts that don't really have the electrolytes and the minerals that we need. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's led to a vicious problem, but most of those issues around cramping, I find get corrected with proper electrolyte supplementation. And they also, over time, again, your body adjusts. Uh, and uh, so, for instance, you know, I don't need to, I don't do the rigorous sort of electrolyte um, uh, supplementation now, three years into the carnivore diet, four or five years into low-carb dieting, that I needed to, you know, at the beginning of this experience. Oh, this is very helpful for me. This this is really very helpful for me. Okay. Um those are my questions. Are there other things that I, I should be asking about uh, that we need to know? I, I think the other important aspect of the carnivore diet that we, you know needs to be mentioned is that it it is probably the best elimination diet that people can do. And you know, so when I talk to my clients and you know they're trying to optimize their health, oftentimes I will propose the carnivore diet as an elimination slash reset diet. Uh, so, you know, it is pretty clear that meat, salt, and water uh, is, is kind of the minimum, you know, that humans can survive on. What about coffee and whiskey? Because that's pretty important for me. Well, yes, indeed. And, and we can talk about that a little <laughs> bit. But, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out what bad food, what foods might be triggering your various health problems, one of the most useful aspects of the carnivore diet is that it is the best elimination diet that you can do. So you can put yourself on, you know, very basic carnivore, meat, salt, water for, you know, let's say three months and see how you feel. I give, you know, I tell people this is going to reveal to you how good you can actually feel. And then you can use the carnivore diet, for instance, as a baseline to start adding back in foods. Right. Intentionally. Michaela Peterson did that. Yes, exactly. That's how she, she healed herself, I guess. Correct. And for people with autoimmune conditions in particular, uh, you know, that is an especially powerful use of the carnivore diet. Um, and, and finally, you know, again, as I go through in my book, you know, I don't say that the carnivore diet is the only way to be metabolically healthy. You know, I go through in my book how you can be metabolically healthy on literally everything from vegan to carnivore uh, and, you know, a couple of things in between like keto and paleo and, and uh, you know, Mediterranean type diets. Right. Um, so um, but I think it is an important tool uh, that we do not utilize enough, you know, because of the fears, because of the mistruths that have been, you know, 
around meat in general and around the carnivore diet in particular. Um, it doesn't get utilized as much as I think it should. And uh, I think it can be a very useful tool. Uh, but again, I, 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 I'm not out here saying everyone needs to be on a carnivore diet. Uh, you know, I, I don't think yeah, there is yeah. one right diet for everyone. And the diet changes over time for everyone. So carnivore might be a useful tool at some point in your experience. And, you know, it may or may not be something that you need to stick with long term. Okay. One last question. Um, how long? Oh, it's probably a series of questions. Now, how long have you been mostly carnivore? Uh, so I started in March of 2019. Uh, we're wow. recording this in uh, October two and a half of 2021. Years. So two and a half years. And you don't see any reason to change? I really don't. You know, it's the best I feel. I'm happy with the way I eat. You know, I, I eat when I'm hungry. I eat until I'm full and I enjoy all the food that I eat. Uh, I don't feel deprived. I don't, you know, feel like I'm starving myself. Um, and so I really don't have a good reason to go back, you know, to, to not okay. continue to eat this way. And that's the bottom line for me. All right. Well, I think this has just been killer. This has been, a, for me, has been very, very eye-opening and educational. Um, I would just want to remind our listeners, they can follow you on Twitter at iFixHearts. Please visit Dr. Ovedia's website as well, Ovedia Heart Health. That's O-V-A-D-I-A hearthealth.com. Um, he's got a telemedicine practice. If you need help with these metabolic, with your metabolic health, He's the guy to talk to. And I guess if you're around the Memphis area and you need to have your chest cut open, you're also the guy to talk to. But let's let's hope that's not going to happen. All right. Well, uh, this has been the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. I'm your host, Jack Heald. We'll talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Ovedia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.